The Throne of Fire, Chapter 11. Carter does something incredibly stupid, and no one is surprised. I understand, Carter. I do. Have me narrate the most painful part. Of course, I can't blame you. What happened was awful enough for me, but for you, well, I wouldn't want to talk about it either. There we were, in the Winter Palace, racing down polished marble hallways that were not designed for running. Behind us, the two-headed Jisu Hiru skidded and slammed into walls as it tried to turn corners, much like Muffin used to do whenever Grand mopped the floor. That's the only reason the monster didn't catch us immediately. Since, we, since we'd teleported into the Malachite room, I had no idea where the nearest exit was. I wasn't even sure if we were actually in the Winter Palace, or if Menshikov's office was some clever thing that existed only in the Duat. I was beginning to think we'd never get out, when we rounded a corner, scrambled down a staircase, and spotted a set of glass and iron doors leading out to Palace Square. The Jesu Hero was right behind us. It slipped and rolled down the staircase, demolishing a plastic a plaster statue of some unfortunate czar. We were ten meters from the exit when I saw the chains across the door. Carter! I gasped, waving helplessly at the padlock. I hate to admit just how weak I felt. I didn't have the strength for another spell. Cracking Seth's vase in the Malachite room had been my last hurrah, which is a good example of why you shouldn't use magic to solve all your problems. Summoning a divine word to break the vase had taken so much energy, I felt as if I'd been digging holes in the hot sun. It would have been much easier just to throw a rock. If I lived through the night, I decided to add some rocks to my tool bag. We were three meters away when Carter thrust his fist towards the door. The eye of Horus burned against the padlock, and the doors burst open as if they'd been hit by a giant fist. I hadn't seen Carter do anything like that since our fight at the Red Pyramid, but I didn't have time to be amazed. We bolted outside into the wintry night, the Jesu hero roaring behind us. You'll think I was mad, but my first thought was, that was too easy. Despite the monster chasing us and the business with Seth, whom I would strangle at the first opportunity, that backstabbing git, I couldn't help feeling we'd breach Menshikov's inner sanctum and snatch the scroll without nearly enough trouble. Where were the traps, the alarms, the exploding donkey curses? I was certain we'd stolen the authentic scroll. I'd felt the same tingle in my fingers as when I'd taken the other one from the Brooklyn Museum, without the fire, thankfully. So why hadn't the scroll been better protected? I was tired. I fell a few steps behind Carter, which probably saved my life. I felt a crawling sensation across my scalp. I sensed darkness above me, a feeling that reminded me too much of the shadow of Nakbet's wings. I looked up and saw the Jisu hero sailing over our heads like a massive bullfrog, timing its pounce so it would land. Carter, stop! I yelled. Easier said than done on icy pavement. I skidded to a halt, but Carter was going too fast. 
He fell on his bum and slid. His sword skittered to one side. The Jesu hero landed right on top of him. If he had, if it hadn't been U-shaped, Carter would have been crushed. But it curved around him like an enormous pair of headphones. One head glaring down at him from either side. How could something so large have leaped so far? Too late. I realized we should have stayed inside where it was harder for the monster to move. Out here, we had no chance about running it. Carter, I said, stay perfectly still. He froze in crab walk position. The monster's two heads dripped venom that hissed and steamed on the icy stones. Oi, I yelled, not having any rocks. I picked up a chunk of broken ice and threw it at the Jesu hero. Naturally, I hit Carter in the back instead. Nevertheless, I got the Jisu hero's attention. Both heads turned toward me, twin tongues flickering. First step done, distract the monster. Second step, find some clever way to draw it away from Carter. That part was giving me a bit more trouble. I'd used my only potion. Most of my magic supplies were gone. My staff and wand wouldn't do me much good without my magic reserve. The knife from Anubis? Somehow, I doubted this was the right situation to open someone's mouth. The amulet from Walt? I had not the slightest idea how to use it. For the millionth time, I regretted giving up the Spirit of Isis. I could really have used the full magic arsenal of a goddess. But, of course, that was exactly why I'd had to separate from her. The sort of power is intoxicating, dangerously addictive. It can quickly destroy your life. But what if I could form a limited bond? In the Malachite room, I'd managed a Hadith spell for the first time in months. And while it had been difficult, it hadn't been impossible. Right, Isis, I thought. Here's what I need. Don't think, Sadie. Her voice whispered back almost immediately, which was quite a shock. Divine magic had to be involuntary, like breathing. You mean... I stopped myself. Don't think. Well, that shouldn't be too hard. I held up my staff, and a golden hieroglyph blazed in the air. A one-meter-tall tie-it lit up the courtyard like a Christmas tree star. The Jisu hero snarled its yellow eyes fixed on the hieroglyph. Don't like that, eh? I called. Symbol of Isis, you big ugly mutt. Now, get away from my brother. It was a complete bluff, of course. I doubted the glowing sign could do anything helpful. But I hope the snake creature wasn't smart enough to know that. Slowly, Carter edged backward. He looked for his sword, but it was ten meters away, much too far to reach. I kept my eyes on the monster. I used the butt of my staff to trace a magic circle in the snow around me. It wouldn't provide much protection, but it was better than nothing. Carter, I called. When I say go, run back here. That thing's too fast, he said. 
I'll try to detonate the hieroglyph and blind it. I still maintain that the plan would have worked, but I didn't get the chance to try it. Somewhere off to my left, boots crunched on ice. The monster turned towards the sound. A young man ran into the light of the hieroglyph. He was dressed in a heavy wool coat and a policeman's hat with a rifle in his hands, but he couldn't have been much older than me. He was fairly drowning in his uniform. When he saw the monster, his eyes widened. He stumbled backward, almost dropping his weapon. He yelled something at me in Russian, probably, why is there a two-headed snake monster with no bum? The monster hissed at both of us, which it could do, having two heads. That's a monster, I told the guard. I was fairly sure he couldn't understand, but I tried to keep my tone steady. Stay calm and don't shoot. I'm trying to save my brother. The guard swallowed. His large ears were the only things holding up his hat. He glanced from the monster to Carter to the tie glowing above my head. Then he did something I wasn't expecting. He said a word in ancient Egyptian. He kept the command I always used to summon my staff. His rifle changed to a two-meter oaken rod with a carved head of a falcon. Wonderful, I thought. The security guards are secretly magicians. He addressed me in Russian, some sort of warning I recognized the name Menshikov. Let me guess, I said. You want to take me to your leader? The Jisu hero snapped its jaws. It, would, it was rapidly losing its fear of my glowing tie Carter wasn't far enough away to make a run for it. Look, I told the guard. Your boss, Menshikov, is a traitor. He summoned this thing to kill us so we wouldn't blab about his plans to free Apophis. Savvy the word Apophis? Bad snake? Very bad snake. Now, either help me kill this monster or stay out of my way. The magician guard hesitated. He pointed at me nervously. Cain. It wasn't a question. Yes, I agreed. Cain. His expression was a jumble of emotions. Fear, disbelief, possibly even awe. I didn't know what he'd heard about us, but before he could decide whether to help or fight us, the situation spun out of control. The Jisu hero charged. My ridiculous brother, instead of rolling out of the way, tackled the monster. He locked his arms around the creature's right neck and tried to climb its back, but the Jisu hero simply turned its other head to strike. What was my brother thinking? He thought he could ride the beast. Perhaps he was trying to buy me a few seconds to cast a spell. If you ask him about it now, he'll claim he doesn't remember the incident at all. But if you ask me, the thick-headed fool was trying to save me, even if it meant sacrificing himself. The nerve. Oh yes, now you try to explain yourself, Carter. I thought you didn't remember this bit. Just be quiet and let me tell the story. As I was saying, the Jisu hero struck at Carter, and everything seemed to slow down. I remember screaming, lowering my staff at the monster. 
the soldier magician yelled something in Russian. The creature sank its fangs into Carter's left shoulder, and he dropped to the ground. I forgot about my makeshift circle. I ran toward him, and my staff glowed. I don't know how I managed the power. As Isis said, I didn't think. I simply channeled all my rage and shock into my staff. Seeing Carter hurt was the final insult. My grandparents had been possessed, my friends had been attacked, and now my birthday ruined. But my brother was off limits. No one was allowed to hurt my brother. I unleashed a beam of golden light that hit the monster with the force of a sandblaster. The Jisu hero crumbled to bits until there was nothing left but a streak of sand streaming in the snow and a few splinters of Menshikov's shattered staff. I ran to Carter's side. He was shivering. His eyes rolled back in his head. Two puncture wounds in his coat were smoking. Kane, the young Russian said with a tone of awe. I snatched up a splinter of wood and held it out for him to see. Your boss, Menshikov, did this. He's working for Apophis. Menshikov, Apophis. Now get out. The magician may have not understood my words, but he got the message. He turned and ran. I cradled Carter's head. I couldn't carry him by myself, but I had to get him out of there. We were in enemy territory. I needed to find Bess. I struggled to get him to his feet. Then someone took Carter's other arm and helped us. I found Seth grinning at me, still in his ridiculous red disco suit, dusted with malachite rubble. Menshikov's broken white sunglasses were propped on his head. You, I said, too filled with loathing to issue a proper death threat. Me, Seth agreed cheerily. Let's get your brother out of here, shall we? Vladimir is not in a good mood. The Nevsky Prospect would have been a lovely place to shop if it had been, hadn't been the wee hours of the morning during a snowstorm. And if I hadn't been carrying my poisoned, comatose brother. The street had wide pavements, perfect for strolling, lined with dazzling assortment of high-end boutiques, cafes, churches, and mansions. With all the signs in Russian, I didn't see how I was going to find the chocolate shop. I couldn't spot Bess's black Mercedes anywhere. Seth volunteered to carry Carter, but I wasn't about to let the god of chaos take full charge of my brother, so we dragged him between us. Seth chatted amiably about Jesu Hero Poison. Completely incurable. Fatal in about 12 hours. It's amazing stuff. In his tussle with Menshikov. Six vases broken over his head, and he still survives. I envy his thick skull and my prospects of living long enough to find Bess. Oh, you're toast, my dear. A dozen senior magicians were rallying to Menshikov when I made my uh, strategic retreat. They'll be after you shortly. I could have destroyed them all, of course, but I couldn't risk Vladimir using my secret name again. Maybe he'll get amnesia and forget it. Then if you die, 
That would be both problems solved. Oh, I'm sorry. I suppose that sounded insensitive. Come along. Carter's head lolled. His breathing sounded almost as bad as Vlad the Inhaler's. Now, please don't think I was dense. Of course, I remembered the wax mini Carter figurine Jazz had given me. I recognized that this was just a sort of emergency where it might come in handy. How Jazz had predicted Carter would need healing, I had no idea. But it was possible the figurine could draw the poison out of him, despite what Seth said about it being incurable. What does a god of evil know about healing, anyway? There were problems, however. First, I knew very little about healing magic. I needed time to figure out the proper casting, and since I only had one wax statue, I couldn't afford to get it wrong. Second, I couldn't very well do that while being chased by Menshikov and his squad of magical Russian goons. Nor did I want to let my guard down with Seth anywhere near me. I didn't know why he decided to be helpful all of a sudden, but the sooner I could lose him, the better. I needed to find Bess and retreat to some place safe, if there was such a place. Seth kept chattering about all the exciting ways the magicians might kill me once they caught up. Finally, I spotted a bridge up ahead over a frozen canal. Parked in the middle was a black Mercedes. Bess leaned against the hood, eating pieces off a chocolate chessboard. Next to him sat a large plastic bag, hopefully with more chocolate for me. I yelled to him, but he was so engrossed in eating chocolate, which... I suppose I could understand that he didn't notice us until we were a few meters away. Then he looked up and saw Seth. I started to say, Bess, don't. Too late. Like a skunk, the dwarf god activated his default defense. His eyes bulged out. His mouth opened impossibly wide. He yelled, boo, so loudly my hair parted, and icicles rained down from the bridge's street lamp. Seth didn't look the least bit phased. Hello, Bess, he said. Really, you're not so scary with chocolate smeared on your face. Bess glared at me. What's he doing here? Not my idea, I promised. I gave him the abbreviated story of our encounter with Menshikov. And so Carter's been hurt, I summed up, which seemed rather obvious. We have to get him out of here. But first, Seth interrupted, pointing at the chocolate museum bag next to Bess. I can't stand surprises. What's in there? A gift from me? Bess frowned. Sadie wanted a souvenir. I brought a Lennon's head. Seth slapped his thigh with delight. That's how evil. Oh, there's no hope for you. Not his real head, Bess said. It's chocolate. Oh, shame. Can I have part of your chessboard then? I simply love eating pawns. Get out of here, Seth, Bess said. Well, I could do that, but since our friends are on their way, I 
thought perhaps we should make a deal. Seth snapped his fingers and a globe of red light appeared in front of him. In it, the holographic image, images of six men in security uniforms piled into two white sports cars. Their headlights blazed to life. The car swerved across a parking lot, then passed straight through a stone wall as if it were made of smoke. I'd say you have about two minutes, Seth smiled, and the globe of light faded. You remember Menshikov's minions, Bess? Are you sure you want to meet them again? The dwarf god's face darkened. He crushed a white chocolate chess piece in his hand. You lying, scheming, murdering. Stop, I said. Carter groaned in his poisoned daze. Either he was getting heavier or I was getting tired of holding him up. We don't have time to argue, I said. Seth, are you offering to stop the magicians? He laughed. No, no. I'm still hoping they kill you. You see, but... I was going to offer you the location of the last scroll in the Book of Ra. That is what you're after, isn't it? I assumed he was lying. He usually was. But if he was serious, I looked at Bess. Is it possible he knows the location? Bess grunted. More than possible. The priest of Ra gave him the scroll for safekeeping. Why on earth would they do that? Seth tried to look modest. Come now, Sadie. I was a royal lieutenant of Ra. If you were Ra and you didn't want to be bothered by any old magician trying to wake you, wouldn't you trust the key to your location with your most fearsome servant? He had a point. Where's the scroll, then? Not so fast. I'll give you the location if you give me back my secret name. Not likely. It's quite simple. Just say, I give you back your name. You'll forget the proper way to say it. And then I'll have no power over you. You'll kill me. You'd have my word that I won't. Right, that's worth a lot. But if I use your secret name to force you to tell me... Seth shrugged. With a few days to research the correct spell, you might manage that. Unfortunately, he cupped his ear to his head. In the distance, tires squealed. Two cars traveling fast, getting closer. You don't have a few days. Bass cursed an Egyptian. Don't do it, girl. He can't be trusted. Can we find the scroll without him? Well, maybe. Probably not. No. The headlights of two cars swerved into the Nevsky Prospect, roughly half a mile away. We were out of time. I had to get Carter away from there. But if Seth really was our only way of finding the scroll, I couldn't just let him go. All right, Seth. But I'll give you one last order. Best side. I can't bear to watch this. Give me a brother. I'll put him in the car. The dwarf took Carter and stuffed him into the back seat of the Mercedes. I kept my eyes on Seth, trying to think of the least terrible way to make this deal. 
I couldn't simply tell him to never hurt my family. A magical pact needed to be carefully worded with clear limits and an expiration date, or the whole spell would unravel. <sighs> Evil day. You are not to harm the Kane family. You'll maintain a truce with us at least until... until Ra has been awakened. Or until you try and fail to awaken him? Seth asked innocently. If that happens, I said, the world is going to end, so why not? I will do what you ask concerning your name. In exchange, you will tell me the location of the last part of the Book of Ra, without trickery or deception. Then you'll depart for the duet. Seth considered the offer. The two white sports cars were only a few blocks away now. Bess shut Carter's door and ran back over. We have a deal, Seth agreed. You'll find the scroll at Baharia. Bess knows the place I mean. Bess didn't look happy. That place is heavily protected. We'll have to use the Alexandria portal. Yes, Seth grinned. Should be interesting. How long can you hold your breath, Sadie Kane? What do you mean? Never mind, never mind. Now, I believe you owe me a secret name. I give you back your name, I said. Just like that. I felt the magic leave me. I still knew Seth's name, Evil Day. But somehow, I couldn't remember exactly how I used to say it, or how it worked in a spell. The memory had been erased. To my surprise, Seth didn't kill me on the spot. He just smiled and tossed me Vlad Menchikov's sunglasses. I hope you live after all, Sadie Kane. You're quite amusing. But if they do kill you, at least enjoy the experience. Gosh, thanks. And just because I like you so much, I have a free piece of information for your brother. Tell him Zia Rashid's village was called... Makan el Ramal al Hamra. Why is that? Happy travels! Seth disappeared in a cloud of blood colored mist. A block away, the two white sports cars barreled toward us. A magician stuck his head out of the sunroof of the lead car and pointed his staff in our direction. Time to leave, Bess said. Get in. I will say this for Bess. He drove like a maniac, and I mean that in, like, the best way possible. Icy streets didn't bother him at all. Neither did traffic signals, pedestrian pavements, or canals, which he jumped twice without bothering to find a bridge. Fortunately, the city was mostly empty that time of morning, or I'm sure we would have mowed down any number of Russians. We woke through St. Petersburg while the two white sports cars closed behind us. I tried to hold Carter steady next to me in the back seat. His eyes were half open. His cornea is the most awful shade of green. Despite the cold, he was burning with fever. I managed to tug off his winter coat and found his shirt sweat soaked with sweat. On his shoulder, the puncture wounds looked like they were oozing 
like, well, it's probably best I don't describe that part. I glanced behind us. The magician in the sunroof aimed his staff, not an easy task in a high-speed car chase, and a glowing white javelin shot from the tip, hurtling toward us like a homing missile. Duck! I yelled and pushed Carter against the seat. The javelin broke the rear window and flew straight through the windshield. If Bess had been normal height, he would have gotten a free head piercing. As it was, the projectile missed him completely. I'm a dwarf, he grumbled. I don't duck. He swerved to the right. Behind us, a storefront exploded. Looking back, I saw the entire wall dissolve into a pile of living snakes. Our pursuers were still closing. Bass, get us out of here, I yelled. I'm trying, kid. Egyptian Bridge is coming up. It was originally built in the 1800s, but I don't care. Just drive. Truly, it's amazing how many Egyptian bits and bobs there are in St. Petersburg and how little I cared about them. Being chased by evil magicians throwing javelins and snake bombs does tend to clarify one's priorities. Suffice it to say, yes, there really is an Egyptian bridge over the Fontanka River, leading south out of central St. Petersburg. Why? No idea. Don't care. As we raced towards it, I saw black stone sphinxes on either side. Lady sphinxes with gilded pharaoh crowns. But the only thing that mattered to me was that they could summon a portal. Best barked something in Egyptian. At the top of the bridge, blue light flashed. A swirling sand vortex appeared. What did Seth mean? I asked. About holding my breath? Hopefully it won't be for long, Bess said. We'll only be 30 feet under. 30 feet under water? Bang. The Mercedes careened sideways. Only later did I realize another javelin must have hit our back tire. We spun across the ice and flipped, sliding upside down into the vortex. My head slammed against something. I opened my eyes fighting for consciousness, but either I was blind or we were in complete darkness. I heard water trickling through the javelin-shattered glass, and the roof of the Mercedes crumpled like an aluminum can. I had time to think, a teenager for less than a day, and I'm going to drown. Then I blacked out.